0: And so this story is a continuation in a teaching series that we began a couple weeks ago, looking at the characters of Christmas. Uh, we looked first at Mary and the great birth announcement that was made uh, to her by the angel. Last week, we gave consideration to a similar announcement given to her betrothed husband, Joseph. And now we are looking at the actual birth of Jesus, the announcement made to the shepherds. And I think many of you in this room would agree that there is no greater day in a person's life, nothing more memorable, more impactful than the day you become a parent or see a child come into this world. So much so that we often, as we prepare for this great day, as it gets closer and closer, take much care in the preparation to be made. Packing those overnight bags, making sure the baby room is set The goal is that this delivery of a new life, be it a daughter or a son, would happen in a safe, comfortable, and peaceful way as much as possible. But those having gone through this know that there are oftentimes some things out of control and what you intend to be safe, comfortable, and peaceful sometimes doesn't go according to plan, that it can be a bit chaotic, a bit stressful, and for mom in particular, not as comfortable as they would like But birth ultimately is beautiful, no matter how chaotic it may be. And this has never been more true than when we give consideration to the birth of Jesus. Probably one of the most chaotic and stressful birth stories that anybody could have. The day a child is born is the day a parent's life changes forever in the same way the day that Jesus was born is the day that all lives were changed forever, especially those who would come to know him as their savior. And so let us give consideration to this great birth story, by reading it from scripture. And so I would ask if you would please stand for the reading of God's word. We're in Luke chapter two, beginning in verse one. The word of God says, in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This is the first registration when Cronerius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee from the town of Nazareth, And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, as it has been told to them. And at the end of eight days, when when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given to him by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. This is the word of God this morning. You may be seated. And so in our brief time together and looking at this text, I really just wanna draw out two points from you from this wonderful birth story of our Lord Jesus Christ. I want us to notice two things. First, the humble nature of Jesus' birth, that this was God's promised Messiah, God in the flesh, and yet he was born in a manger. Secondly, I wanna look at this announcement, this humble announcement that the angels give to shepherds and ponder why God would have chosen to give such great announcement to those people. But first, let us look at this humble birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Just to recount the narrative and the events, you know from our previous meetings that Mary was told that even though she was a virgin, she was to bear a child that this child was the promised one that the people of Israel had been waiting for from really the beginning of creation, a savior, a Messiah, one who would come and be king of God's people. And so we have this amazing announcement given to Mary. She asked, how will this be since I am a virgin? And God says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, will overshadow you, and that he will be the son of God. Joseph, and finding out that his betrothed wife, right? We talked about what that betrothal means. It wasn't just an engagement as we would have it today, but it was something a bit more serious that even though they hadn't officially been married, they were to be considered husband and wife. And so he gets news that this young girl was with child and he prepared to divorce her quietly out of compassion. But yet an angel visited him, visited him in his dream and said, do not be concerned, this child is from the Lord, that your, your wife is a virgin and that this is our promised Messiah. And so the two are wedded. They are husband and wife. And as this pregnancy progresses, we learn in Luke 2 that a census has been called by Caesar Augustus. This census demanded that Joseph would go back to his hometown. Mary and Joseph were living in Nazareth and they would have to travel all the way back to the city of Bethlehem, because this Roman king wanted to count the people in his kingdom for tax purposes. This journey from Nazareth to Bethlehem is anywhere from 80 to 100 miles to be walked. And you can imagine how difficult a journey that would have been for someone like Mary in particular, who was far along in her pregnancy. They go to this city, commanded by an earthly king, but really because of what our heavenly king has orchestrated. Little did Caesar Augustus know that God would use him to fulfill a prophecy about this coming Messiah, that the promised one would be born in the city of David, the city of Bethlehem. As God so often does throughout scripture, he uses even pagan kings to fulfill his purposes. Micah 5.2 is where this prophecy is found It reads, But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathath, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth from me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient of days. And so we see God's sovereignty on display even in what a situation to Joseph and Mary looks like it is out of their control. But nevertheless, they go, and they are registered in Bethlehem, and our scripture says that while they were there, in verse 6, the time for her to give birth came. How stressful a time this must have been because this small, small city had to have been full to capacity because of this census, so much so that there was no place for this family to be housed. And as we've said, for those of you who have prepared to bring children into this world, the goal is to make it as comfortable and peaceful as possible. This was anything but that we sometimes romanticize this scene through our christmas and holiday traditions we we sing silent night which we will will end our service today doing but i imagine that this was a very stressful night for joseph and mary as they were going and trying to find a place to stay we don't really have that panicked look on mary and joseph's face in our nativity scenes in our front yard or in our house wherever they may be but i'm sure this was a great and stressful moment but nevertheless they they end up in a barn of sorts. And Mary gives birth to her first son in less than ideal situations. And yet, it is through this birth, through this chaotic event, that we have our Savior. It was not a sanitary, quiet, or peaceful place. Jesus is literally laid in a feeding trough designed for animals, Jesus was born into a desperate situation with desperate people during a desperate time to save us in our own desperation. And so considering who Jesus was, even at his birth, Christ the Messiah, God become flesh, let us stand in awe of the humility of his arrival here on this earth. I see God's humility on display that he would be born in the least of ideal ways. That God in the flesh was born literally into filth. But being born into filth, we see that he had come to take the filth of our sin away. How appropriate. And so we must remember the purpose of why Jesus came. That he was humble in his birth and this this humility would be a pattern for his whole life, that even as he was born, he had no home, no place to lay his head. And this would also be true in his ministry, that he would have no earthly possessions, no earthly treasures, but he came to serve. Matthew eight twenty talks about this. Jesus says of himself, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. This was true not only in his birth, but also in his life. Because the whole purpose for Jesus coming into the world is told to us in Matthew chapter 20, verse 28. It says, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Don't get me wrong. He is worthy of all glory and praise and majesty. And you would think in earthly human standards that this great promised Messiah would be born in a palace, would be worshiped by the most powerful people, to show how great and wonderful he was, but instead he is born in a manger. We see a humble beginning to our Lord Jesus Christ. But through his humble beginnings, he would go to that cross, he would take the punishment for our sins, and God would highly exalt him. This is a pattern in God's kingdom that is consistent throughout all of scripture that first comes humility and then comes exaltation. As I was studying this passage, I was struck by a quote from another pastor, a pastor named Tony Merida, who writes this, Before there is glory, there must first be humility. That is the way the kingdom of God operates. The first will be last, and the last will be first, as described in Mark chapter 10, verse 31. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble, found in James 4, 6, and 1 Peter 5, 5. God tells us to humble yourselves before the Lord, and in due time, he will exalt you, James 4.10. This is how God's kingdom is built, that we humble ourselves before God exalts us, and Christ lived out this pattern for us. We studied in the book of Philippians how Christ humbled himself and how God has now highly exalted him. Let me read from Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11, a great passage of scripture. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the Father. He came in humility and he's now seated, exalted highly in the throne of God. This is a pattern in scripture we see in Jesus' life and a pattern that you and I must follow as well. You see, we do not naturally follow this pattern. We seek exaltation now, that is our sin, to make much of ourselves. But the call of the gospel is to humble yourselves before the Lord, to confess your need for a savior in Christ. And when you do that, when you humble yourself before the Lord, then because of what Christ has done, you will be exalted with his son Errors with Christ. And this invitation to be united to Christ in faith as we're going to see as we give consideration to the shepherds is an invitation for all people. And so we see Christ's humble beginning, his humble birth. Now let us look at this announcement, this humble announcement given to the shepherds, humble in the sense of who God chose to make this announcement to, but not humble in its form, I find it really interesting that in many ways, the shepherds receive the most glorious announcement of the birth of Christ. Consider the announcement made to Mary. One angel comes to her and gives her this great news of Jesus being born to her. Joseph, similarly, one angel in a dream tells him of the birth of this Savior, but yet these shepherds are given a heavenly host, a multitude that in many ways is innumerable, that fills the sky. And so one of the things I did this week is I asked, why did God announce the birth of Jesus to shepherds of all people? Why do they receive this glorious form of an announcement of Christ the Lord? It's an interesting choice. Maybe it has to do with the fact that Israel's greatest king throughout all of history, King David, as you may know, started as a young shepherd boy. Jesus would go on to call himself the good shepherd. And we may think that shepherds are kind of a a beloved group of people, but that is actually not the case. You see, at the time that Jesus was born, the shepherds were the outcasts. They were on the fringe of society. They were looked down upon more than almost any other profession. Shepherds were some of the lowliest of people in society. So much so, they would have been pretty much uneducated, one of the reasons why they would be out in the fields with the sheep. They were not trusted to give testimony in any form, legally. And by the nature of their job, they could not participate in any religious ceremonies because they would have been considered unclean. They literally lived as outcasts out in the field, separated, From society. So, why does God make an announcement to them? I think there's great news here. In Luke chapter 2, verse 10, we hear the angels say to these shepherds, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. All people. In some ways, this is illustrated by the very people in which this announcement is being made to, that this good news of great joy that a Christ, the Messiah, is born here today in the city of David is for all people, which is why we're telling you first. Those who have been cast out from society, those who have been looked down upon, those who have been rejected by men, you have the opportunity to be saved and to enter into relationship and fellowship with God. The news of Jesus' birth was not for the most religious, was not for those most worthy, but it was for sinners, those who need a savior. It's for all people, because we are all sinners. So what did the angels announce Chapter two, verse 11, it says, for unto you this day in the city of David is born a savior who is Christ the Lord. There are three descriptions here given for Jesus. The first is savior. This birth announcement is an announcement that the savior is here. Now, maybe this was misunderstood by some of the shepherds in in the moment that they were, Given this announcement, a savior, maybe a political savior, a conquering king like David, someone who would cast off the oppression of the Romans. But we read in the announcement made to Matthew what this savior came to save us from. As this announcement was made to Joseph earlier, the angel in Matthew chapter 1 verse 21 says this, she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus, which means God saves for he will save his people from their sins. Jesus is going to save us from our greatest enemy. We may have enemies in this world, but there is no greater enemy than the sin that is in our very own flesh. This is what he came to save us from. So born in the city of David would be a savior who is Christ Some of us may still believe that Christ is just Jesus' last name. No, it was a title. Christ is synonymous with the title of Messiah, the promised one, God's anointed one, the one that God has been promising from the very beginning of creation. You can look all the way back to the Garden of Eden in Genesis at that very first sin, that there would be one born of a woman who will crush the head of the serpent, the anointed one, the Messiah This is him, the one who will sit on the throne of David, the one who will be a greater prophet than Moses, God's anointed one. Not only that, not only a savior, not only Messiah, but the Lord. A title in scripture typically reserved for God and God alone. That the one who would save us from our sins, the one who was promised to us by God, would be God himself becoming a man. And so the shepherds, they receive this good news and they rush to see if it was true. And what was going to be the sign? The sign was going to be this unusual scene of a brand new baby born in a manger and laid in swaddling cloths and a filthy and desperate Situation, something you would not expect to see. And upon seeing it, the shepherds rejoice. It says in verse 17, and when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning this child. They see exactly what the angels had said that they would see, and they say, Let us share the news of what God has told us. And so their response is, is a threefold response. They they teach what they had heard we see Mary treasure this news in her heart, and they go and they tell others. This is the response to the good news. They teach and believe what God has said. Mary receives it as the greatest news and treasures it in his heart, and then they go on to tell others. Verse 18, and all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart, and the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. This is a familiar story. We sometimes fail to see how wonderful and surprising and exciting this story truly is. And one of these exciting and amazing elements of this story, I think, is God's choice of making such a royal and grand announcement using his host of angels and to tell a group of people like the shepherds. It's surprising, but in some ways it isn't because scripture often reveals that God chooses surprising people for his own purpose. And that reigns true today, that God is still in the business of choosing surprising people. And if you are in Christ, don't be fooled. It is surprising that God has chosen to give this good news to you today. We are not deserving of this good news. In our sin, in our rebellion before God, we deserve his wrath. We deserve to be cast out, rejected, but he brings us this same good news. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, that will be for all people the people here in this room. This great news of a promise, the Messiah, the Lord is for us. No one is excluded. We can think of reasons to be excluded, right? Oftentimes we have a hard time believing that this good news truly is for me. That I'm not a good person. I've done some terrible things in my life, things that don't deserve to ever be forgiven. That I still struggle with sin. I still rebel against God. If you really knew me, you would know that I couldn't be one of these people. But the reality is, yes, you can. Through faith in Christ this child born to us who would take our sin and take that punishment in his own flesh, in his own body, so that you would not have to. And if we ever doubted that, all we have to do is look to this announcement of the shepherds, those who had already been forgotten, those who had already been excluded, and yet they're the first to receive this announcement an announcement that has continued to be preached and to be shared for over 2,000 years, and many have come to faith in Christ as a result. And so I would ask you and invite you to respond to this great announcement this morning, if you haven't already, that this is indeed good news, the best news, that our sins can be forgiven because a Savior Christ the Lord has come. And so I... I want to give an invitation as we prepare to close this message, as we reflect on this story of Christ's birth. This wasn't just a baby born to be marveled at. This was a baby born to die, to take the punishment for sin. That God has created you as a man or a woman to be in relationship with him, but because of your sin, that relationship is broken. And there's nothing that we can do, no amount of good deeds, no amount of good behavior that could ever earn us favor before God on our own. But this is why Christ came, that he could fulfill all of the requirements that you and I failed to fulfill and that he could take the punishment that you and I deserve on the cross. Not just suffering physically, but taking the invisible wrath of God that would have been poured out on all of us in eternity in hell that if you would just believe in him as Christ, as the Messiah, as your Lord, then you can be forgiven and have fellowship with God once again. Have new life in him, life that starts not when you get to heaven, but that starts right now as you begin to have fellowship with him through his spirit. And so as we close our service, I want to pray And if that's you this morning and you want to cry out to Christ as your savior this morning, would you join me in a moment of prayer? And for all those here who have been united to Christ by faith, would you marvel with me at this great news? News that we so often take for granted, that becomes so familiar that it no longer becomes special, but it is indeed the most special news that should and ought to be marveled at each and every year as we celebrate Christmas. So let us go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this great work of salvation that you, through your Son and Spirit, have planned before the foundation of the world. That Jesus, the eternal Son of God, would become a man, would be born in such meager and obscure circumstances, and at his birth would be joined with such a crowd as these shepherds, the outcasts in society. The perfect illustration that this good news of Christ the Messiah, our Lord's birth, was indeed for all people. Lord, you didn't come for the righteous, but you came for the sinners, of which we are. God, I pray if there's anybody in this room who has yet to put their full faith and trust in you for the forgiveness of their sins, that they would do it now, in a moment of quiet prayer, saying, I receive you, Jesus, as the promised one, as my Savior, and as my Lord. Would your spirit do a work in their heart, and would they put their faith and trust in you? For the rest of us in this room, Lord, would you help us to marvel at this great story of your birth, your life, that you are the Messiah who came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. We are the beneficiaries of that good news. May our Christmas this year be filled with worship and awe and wonder as we remember how you came to this earth in such a humble way. Lord, would we humble ourselves before you as well. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.